0: Like Gino said, my name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors and the mother of all of his children. And I am so glad to be with you today. I'm glad for those of you who are joining us online. I always like to give a special shout out to our second time visitors. We are so grateful that you came and that you came back. Well, as I um, heard the schedule for who was preaching and as what typically happens when we go into a sermon series, and this might happen for you as well, is that um, we start a sermon series, and last week we started a new sermon series on how to be wise. And uh, I feel like the Lord usually gives me like an opportunity to practice. I don't know. Do you feel that too? Like we start a sermon series on something, and then the Lord puts some things in your path that week, so you can say like, "Did you listen? Um, were you really aware?" Okay. So this week at work, I had an opportunity to kind of see if I was paying attention, and. Um, at work i was working on a project on a website and that is part of my job so i wasn't doing anything wild or crazy and i made some adjustments i needed to make some changes on a web page so i did and i did the whole thing where i make the changes and then you can preview what you're doing i previewed everything was fine and then i hit publish again this is all within my job description i can do this Uh, And then I went to the web page, the live like outward facing page, and uh, all of the text on the page had turned from black to white. So if you weren't familiar with the web page, you saw like a weird looking page with some random pictures, uh, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, but that's okay, I can fix this, so I went back into the preview, Uh, I started to make adjustments and changes, and nothing was working. Uh, so I did what, um, what I think many of us do is I panicked, and uh, then I proceeded to make three or four additional errors that made the problem more complex, and I thought, wait a minute, I know what to do. I've heard a sermon on how to be wise. When you need to be wise, you surround your people, yourself with people who know more than you. So what I did is I said, I know who can fix this. So there's a webmaster, and I said, okay, I'm going to draft him an email, and so I started an email to him, and I said, hey... When you have a moment, and by that I wanted him to read really fast, as soon as you're available, please, like now, um, can you take a look at this web page? And I wanted to sound calm, you know, can you take a look at this web page? I've made some errors and now the text is showing up and you can't see it. And so, um, and then I sent the email. I waited 10 seconds and he did not reply. (laughs) And so then I made, three more adjustments on the web page because I was back in the CSS code, I was trying to fix the code, and I thought, I can do this, and I continued to make more problems, and I said, you know what? I need to pause, take a breath. Eventually, he did email me back, and I'm here to say everything is fine on the web page at this point, Uh, but I realized I I know in that moment that I, I had reached the end of my ability, like my knowledge had tapped out, and I had to go to somebody who knew more than me. Now, this isn't an unusual experience, and I'm sure it's not unusual in your life either. Um, I'm also the mother of kids who have math in school. And um, my youngest kid, for example, we count apples and sometimes baseball bats, and then we shade in squares, and I can do that. I'm like a superstar at that. Uh, But then my other kids, they, they do different things in math. And I used to say it was because they did this new style of math and I just couldn't, you know, I was old school and what are they doing? Uh, But I realized that's not it. I just have reached the end of my abilities when it comes to math. And so it's not uncommon for my kids to have a math problem, question, and then I'll take a picture of it and I'll send it to my friend David Jacob or Big Mike and I'll say, hey, when you have a moment... And by that, I want them to understand, like, really fast, as soon as you can, because we try to get our homework done so we can go to bed. Uh, Can you help me with this math problem? Again, I've reached the end of my knowledge, and I need someone who is smarter to help me out. Maybe you have friends like this, too. Like, if I have a grammar question, I have a grammar friend. If I have a car issue, I have a car friend. Uh, These are not unusual situations, right? Uh, It's a good thing to have people in your life who know more than you know. It's a good step in becoming wise, right? Like recognizing, I don't know anymore about this. I don't know why my car is making that noise. I need to take it to somebody who can help me. I don't know how to put the apostrophe before or after the S. I need to talk to somebody who knows how to do it. I mean, consider your 20-year-old self and all the things that you knew. And now at your 40-year-old self or your 60-year-old self, you're much wiser and aware of what you don't know. Teens who are in here today, consider how many times you think your parents or your teachers like totally don't understand it. And I would just say, like, as Gino said before, just keep living. That's growth and maturity. And as we embark on this sermon series about wisdom, we're looking at how to be wise. We're defining wisdom as skill in living or competence with regard to life's realities. And just like my friends who are better at grammar or math, people who know what they're doing, it's competence combined with good judgment, skill at living life. And we looked last week about how wisdom shines in the spaces of life where the rules don't help you. Gino gave some examples last week about the rules, things like you know you shouldn't murder or you're supposed to honor your mother and father, don't steal, like those are the rules. And we know the boundaries, and we know when we cross those boundaries, we can feel that. But then there are spaces where it's less clear. When you're choosing between three really great college acceptance letters, and they all seem decently similar. Or when you're looking at a job offer from two different places, when the answers are less clear. We need to actively seek out wisdom. We need to seek out wise people, and we need to consider the long game. And as I was reflecting on last week's sermon, I was thinking about how there are so many spaces in my life where I'm just not as wise as I want to be. I can actively pursue wisdom. I can seek out and surround myself with really wise people. I can consider tomorrow. I can do all of those things. And yet, I still have lots of questions. In fact, we're getting ready to do a sermon series about questions, questions you want to ask God. We're collecting questions from you. And if you uh, had an audience with God, like what would you ask him? And so we're actually collecting information from you. You can email us. You can uh, put it on a connect card. You can drop it in any of the buckets around or the, the boxes around. What would you ask God? What do you want to ask God if you got the opportunity to sit with him? So we're going to be, that's going to be an upcoming sermon series. But today we're talking about in this sermon series, how to be wise. And I think wisdom, skill in living, as defined by this sermon series, as I said, it helps us make good decisions when there are no clear rules, when the answers are more vague, but there still seems to be a best answer. But maybe next-level wisdom acknowledges the boundaries to our wisdom. It identifies the moment when you need to bring in your smarter friends and colleagues. It's the time period when you call up the counselor or trusted advisor, someone who is smarter and wiser. We all have a wisdom capacity issue. And that's why we do Life in Community. It's why we're so adamant about encouraging people to participate in small groups so that you can be in relationship with people who have lived some life, who could speak into what you're going through so that you don't fall into the same holes that they fell into. And even with All the collective wisdom contained in things like small groups or from your circle of trusted advisors and mentors, even with all of that wisdom, there will still come a point when your collective wisdom reaches capacity. Even Solomon in all of his wisdom, the guy who was wise enough to ask for wisdom instead of riches or wealth or kingdoms, even him, he still came to a point where his wisdom ran out. And as we live this Christian life, I think it's helpful to know that there is a humanly end to our best ideas and knowledge. There are still questions about life that all the wisdom we can muster, we don't answer. And that can be really frustrating. So what do we do when we get to the end of our human wisdom, when the questions are too big and the answers are too inadequate? And today, I want to look at the big idea of trusting in God's wisdom when there's a gap between our capacity for wisdom and God's capacity for wisdom. It's a topic that we'll have to wrestle with throughout life in big and small ways. And it's important to know what to do and what posture to have when we get to the end of our wisdom. It's at the heart of questions like, why is there suffering in the world? Why are innocent children? killed in war, why disease and hunger and injustice, and also why you didn't get the job, or why the marriage failed, or why the addiction persists in the person you love, or just the more basic questions that can sometimes hit us on a regular moment in a regular day. You turn on the TV, or you watch what's happening in the political realm, or you you think about what's happening when we look at war and all of those things, and we think, what is happening here? And so today, I want to look at the story of Job because I think it demonstrates the wide gap between wisdom capacities and how we might respond in moments when our wisdom runs out, the place where even our righteous, prudent, and best-thinking actions fall short. And as we engage this sermon series, I think we want to hit on the story of Job early. Because it seems like the book of Job, a book about a righteous, good man who experiences unimaginable suffering, would be the perfect place to get the template on asking and answering big questions. Because the book of Job is a story that looks at the big question. Like, you can't get more than two chapters into Job and think, what is happening here? And if I'm honest, some of the biggest questions in my life start with the question, what is happening? I can't make sense of this, I don't understand, this isn't adding up. And so today we're gonna be looking at the book of Job and we're gonna move obviously pretty quickly through the entire book of Job. But I just wanna encourage you, it's worth your time and energy to take some time this year to look at the entire book of Job. So the book opens with information about Job. Job is described as a really good man. He is righteous and devoted to God, and it says he's a man of complete integrity. And then we are taken to a scene in heaven where God is having a sort of meeting, and Satan shows up at this meeting. And God and Satan, or the accuser as he's called, they get to talking about what Satan's been up to. And then we get this strange dialogue in Job 1, 8 through 12. You can follow along with me on the screens or on your mobile devices. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Uh, You might be asking, like I did, a few questions. Chief among them, what is happening here? Also, why, God, did you bring up Job's name? Like, that's not cool. And why would you let Satan do whatever he wants with him? And I think those are fair questions. Like, why would God allow this? Or the broader question that we see in this book is, why would God allow this suffering? And we would think Right as we study God's Word and as we pay attention to Scripture, that the next few chapters, like this is setting us up so that the next few chapters will help us take that question and then we will get the answers and we'll be able to tie it up into a neat bow and that by the end of the book we will be wiser and we'll know the the answer to this question and this is a very big question but we'll have the secret and then because we understand that question uh, that we will be able to apply that solution to all the things that are happening in this world. And, thus, we can make sense of the entire universe. Uh, But that's not what happens in this book. And as people who are committed to seeking wisdom and being wise, this feels very unfortunate. But this book is included in the canon of literature for some reason. So what does the book of Job teach us about wisdom and suffering and the human condition? What do we do when there are big questions without adequate answers? And I think this book gives us the opportunity to trust the wisdom of God. As the book of Job continues, we see that Job does, in fact, lose everything. He loses his animals, his children, and eventually his health. As you read the book, and it's, it's a difficult book to read through, but as you read the book, there's this section where one servant comes in to share bad news, and the scripture says that while he's still talking another servant comes in and shares some bad news. And while that servant is talking, another servant comes in and shares bad news. I mean, it's just like, it's ridiculous. And then, okay, so Job loses everything, and then his friends come to visit him. And they're going to try and help him. And then there's this long section in Job where there's this back and forth between Job and his friends, where Job's friends are trying to offer their best wisdom about what's going on, and that Job might have some dark sin that he has not revealed. And Job says, I'm innocent, I promise you, I don't have something that I need to reveal, I am innocent, and there's this long back and forth. And now Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, he describes this big assumption that Job and his friends make in the book. And I think it's fair to say that we probably operate with some of this uh, big assumption as well. And that big assumption is that everything that happens should operate according to the principle of justice. For example, we we live with this idea that God will award obedience, wisdom, and goodness, and that God will punish evil. And so what's happening in Job's life doesn't make sense to us. Like It feels off, and that's because we have this assumption that we should operate by this principle of justice. Because we know that Job is righteous. The text says so. He doesn't have some unconfessed sin. And this principle of justice argument starts to break down. And we don't need the story of Job to see this, right? We see that the righteous don't always win. And we see that the wicked sometimes do prosper. And we feel this in our spirit. This feels wrong to us. And I think this results in a wisdom gap we ask the question, what is happening here? Does Job's unprovoked suffering mean that God is not just? Or that Job is really lying about some secret sin issue? And so finally we see this back and forth between Job and his friends who are trying to be helpful. And then Job finally, he says, I'm sick and tired of you guys. That's kind of what he says. And so Job decides to go to God for answers. In Job 10.1, Job begins his plea to God with these words. He says, I am disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. What an honest and pitiful plea. But Job demonstrates something here that I think we can put in our tool belt of wisdom. When we get to the end of our understanding, when there appears to be a wisdom gap, we must turn our questions to God. Now, I'm using this slide saying question God, and before that gets too far away from me, I want to clarify. Job, having used his best wisdom, Job's friends having used their best wisdom, they don't have an answer to the hard question of why Job is suffering. Why is Job, this righteous, good man of integrity, suffering? But Job does the thing that I think we should do he frames his plea to God. And throughout chapter 10, Job asks questions from a place of deep suffering. And some of the questions are quite accusatory of God. He says, what do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me? This is Job talking to God. The work of your own hands while smiling on the schemes of the wicked. Are your eyes like those of a human? Do you see things only as people see them? Is your lifetime only as long as ours? Is your life so short that you must quickly probe for my guilt and search for my sin? And then it jumps down to verse 18. Why then did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you let me die at birth? Maybe you haven't experienced the depth of agony that would expose those questions, but I know some of you have. This is a raw and vulnerable question conversation that Job is having with God, but when there are gaps in our understanding, when there is a wisdom gap, Job is doing what we should do. This is the best place to send his big questions, and the depth of his pain throughout this book is difficult to read. It's it's difficult to sit through this book. I was just talking to my mom this morning. Like you get halfway through this book and you want to stop. Like. I can't take this, but you should press through. Job takes his pleas to God. He wants to know from his creator what is happening here. And his friends are no help. In fact, after all the back and forth with his friends, Job finally says to his friends in Job 16:2, he says, What miserable comforters you are. And I think, let me just say, this is a little tidbit, this is an extra for a bonus on what we, could, what we can learn from this book. Uh, for the suffering, question God. But for the friends, don't be a miserable comforter. Job says to his friends, won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? I could say the same things if you were in my place. I could spout off criticism and shake my head at you. But if it were me, I would encourage you. I would try to take away your grief. Instead, I suffer if I defend myself, and I suffer no less if I refuse to speak. As friends uh, to someone who is suffering, I think we have to get better about reading the room. Sometimes the moment calls for a conversation. Sometimes you need to ask, like, what sin issue is going on in your life? But sometimes the moment calls for silence. Or sometimes the moment calls for trying to, as Job says, like to encourage or to take away the grief. Sometimes there are words, and sometimes there are no adequate words. And even Job's friends, they were operating with their best wisdom. It's not totally unreasonable for them to consider that Job might have a sin issue. It's not totally unreasonable for them to respond as they are. In fact, as I was reading this, I think I've probably done this before. You might be able to see a little bit of yourself in Job's friends. But Job says, don't be a miserable comforter. But let's go back to Job. When Job reaches the end of his understanding and wisdom, we see Job, he questions God. But here's what we also see in this story, and I think we can use this in our own lives, is Job still actively pursues wisdom throughout the book. And this ties back into last week, Wisdom is valuable. And Job underscores this throughout the entire book. Job and his friends, they they all seem to understand the value of wisdom and the importance of it. Uh, I don't get this idea that we're dealing with a band of fools here. Like, these are people who are really trying. The friends are not trying to be miserable comforters. Job didn't wake up thinking he was going to blast accusations at God. In fact, Job talks about the importance of wisdom in chapter 28. He describes that it cannot be bought. It's worth more than gold or precious onyx. It's more valuable than gold and crystal. Job understands the value of wisdom, and he pursues it, and he wrestles for it in his framing his plea to God about why he's suffering. He demonstrates what he also knows about God. In chapter 28, he says, God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found, for He looks throughout the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. He decided how hard the winds should blow and how much rain should fall. He made the laws for the rain and laid out a path for the lightning. Then He saw wisdom and evaluated it. He set it in place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what He says to all humanity The fear of the Lord is true wisdom, to forsake evil is real understanding. I mean, Job, is he's wrestling through this book. He goes on to speak of his former life and his blessings and of his current suffering, and he maintains his innocence, but his suffering doesn't stop. There's this continued wrestling. Job wants to handle this well. He fears the Lord. He wants to show up well in this season of suffering, and he thinks, if I could just understand what's going on, then I could do this well. Maybe that's the key, right? And that's so human of us, right? Like if we just understood, then I could do this well. And, And most of the time that works, right? Like if we show up well with wisdom and steadiness, even in the fog, even when we don't understand what God is up to, we see Job questioning God for his suffering and at the same time maintaining his pursuit of wisdom. And so then we have this wrestling, We have these friends giving their thoughts. We have Job maintaining his innocence and crying out to God. And then in chapter 38, the Lord answers Job from the whirlwind. And this is what the Lord says. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. I mean, this response from the Lord, it continues for 41 verses in chapter 38, 30 verses in chapter 39, and it ends in chapter 40 with these two verses. It says, Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? And I want to pause here and I want you to read those words in your mind because I think that Job's reply to this question is where we get a great visual of Job's awareness of the wisdom gap. Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Job says, I will cover my mouth. Or in other words, I will get somewhere and I will shut up. (laughs) He questions God. He pursues wisdom. And then he shuts up. Uh, But the Lord is not done. And the Lord continues for some 50 plus verses, Uh, and And then the Lord pauses and gives Job another chance to respond. And Job says in verse 42, he says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job does a real and proverbial covering of his mouth. But mostly, Job responds with repentance and understanding of where his wisdom stops and God's begins. He responds with a grasp of his limited capacity and God's unlimited capacity, an awareness of the weight of the wisdom gap. Job doesn't suddenly understand the meaning of his suffering. God does not respond. In all of those verses, hundreds of verses, where God is responding, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? God does not say, and this is why you were suffering. God does not do that, although he had time to. We don't understand. It seems, frankly, incomprehensible. But like Job, I am reminded that when my best thinking and my best judgment and my full use of wisdom runs out, there is a sovereign God controlling the complex workings of the universe. I don't understand it, and I couldn't comprehend it, and so I need to just get somewhere and shut up. We have to learn to trust the wisdom of God when we don't understand, and when God doesn't give a reason. And this is so hard. In my own wrestling with this text, as I've been studying the book of Job, I don't want this to be the response. I want God to have to explain himself. I want an answer to why Job suffered. And when I look back on some painful moments in my life, I want him to have to explain what happened. I'm frustrated that I don't have answers. I mean, just a slight example, a small example. I have preached before about a moment when I didn't get a promotion. And frankly, I feel like I deserved that promotion. And I would have been good at that job. And I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I have a tinge of uh, still here, right? To this day, and I have some years between that moment and today, and I can still feel the pain well up in my body because of that moment. And I don't have answers. Now, I can look back on it and I can say, well, this, you know, it worked out better. But I don't have answers, and that frustrates me. It infuriates me. And I wonder if you too have moments where you can actually feel it in your body right now. Like your physical body remembers what it felt like. Maybe when you got cut from the team or when a relationship deteriorated. And that's not even to touch on some of the really painful moments or traumatic moments that I know some of you have experienced. The sickness, the divorce, The trauma. I mean, we do life in community. Some of you have experienced trauma and cover your mouth or go sit somewhere and shut up. That is an infuriating response. But I think the story of Job points us to the response so that it demonstrates God's character. And you may be saying, well, God's character seems kind of mean in this book. But I think we have to wrestle with Scripture. We have to wrestle with the story of Job and understand that God's wisdom is on display here and that there is a vast gap between our wisdom and his. Job's story doesn't answer the question about suffering, but through the book, God does ask us to trust in his wisdom. And now, the story doesn't end there, but I, I do want to put like an asterisk here and say, I think it could end here. And that would like frustrate us even more, right? But I think it could end here. But after this interaction, we see this interesting conclusion where the Lord then blesses Job and gives some rebukes to the friends. The friends are rebuked for not speaking accurately about the Lord as Job had. Now, that's interesting, too, because the friends said... Uh, some accurate things about God, like that he is a God of justice. They said these accurate things, and Job, he questioned God. But Job, uh, still at the end, is commended for the way that he wrestled for wisdom. And then the Lord restores his fortunes, giving him twice as much as before. Now, I, I do want to caution us because I don't think that we want to read this as a restoration gift to explain Job's suffering. Because you might not get a blessing on the back side of suffering. You might get unfairly passed over for the job. You might get cut from the basketball team. You might lose. You might not get married. You might get the diagnosis. Your child might get sick. And for all of us, death will win against our earthly bodies unless the Lord decides to come back. Getting a blessing on the backside of suffering is not the point of this story. And that really messes with us because our assumptions about justice is that it follows an orderly plan and and that's squashed in this story. But I go back to the big idea. We want to get a really solid understanding of the gap between our wisdom and God's wisdom. And that when there is a gap between our wisdom, when we can't make sense of what's happening around us, We've got to follow the steps of Job. We've got to question God. We've got to take our questions to the person who can answer them, who can can handle the weight of our complaints and our bitterness and our sadness and our anxiety. The Lord can handle that. You take it to God. Secondly, we see that Job continues to pursue wisdom. He knows what he knows about God. And I don't get the idea that Job just kind of came into this knowledge. Like, it's not like Job decided to start following God after these things happened, right? He was, he was, like, with wisdom. He was pursuing God before any of this started. So he had a deep well to draw from. And the third thing that we see is that Job gets somewhere and he covers his mouth. We cannot fathom the complexities of the universe. We are incapable of carrying out perfect justice and righting all the injustice of this world because we have a limited and finite understanding. Our brains simply cannot process all of the things that are going on. And I think that's really frustrating and it makes me sad and it makes me anxious because I like understanding. I mean, even in just like a a basic realm, like the stuff that's going on in politics, like sometimes I watch the news and I think, what is happening? Like this should be explainable. I should be able to get to some understanding about this. But sometimes there are no adequate answers. But I plan to follow Job's lead. And worship team, you can start making your way up. I'll take my questions to the sovereign God who can handle my questions. I'll continue to pursue wisdom both for my own skill at living, but also as a way to be a good friend to others as we do life in community. And probably the hardest skill for me and maybe the hardest skill for you, I will get somewhere and I will cover my mouth when I don't understand. I wanna get faster at understanding when there's a wisdom gap. Because sometimes when I don't understand, I talk more. I ask more. I want more information. I, I go in hard on trying to get to the answer. And sometimes there are no adequate answers. And so I'm committed to getting somewhere and covering my mouth. Some things will not make sense to me on this side of heaven. And God, in his infinite wisdom, he decided that he doesn't need to explain that to Job and he doesn't need to explain it to me. And at the end of the day, I'm going to have to sit with that, and you will too. And as I pray and cry out to God during the moments of the wisdom gap, whether that be in suffering or pain or just when my humanly wisdom seems to run out, I'm going to trust that God knows what he is doing. And, and that can feel frustrating, but there's things that give me hope about that. Like, I am hopeful because we don't have to walk through suffering alone. God tells us to do life in community. It's why we have small groups and why we do events, so that we can build relationships with others, so that in the times of trial, we are not alone. In this imperfect world, John 16, 33 tells us, in this world, you will have trouble, right? We know it's going to come. And so we want to surround ourselves with people, but we also have the gift of the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, I can have peace in the wisdom gap. But my other hope rests in the assurance that God has made a clear and understandable path for me to be in relationship with him so that one day I will be able to get all of my questions answered. Or one day I won't care about the things that I have questions about right now because God will overcome this imperfect world. When there's a wisdom gap, I have to trust in God's infinite capacity for wisdom. Like Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. It's hard to do, but it's not impossible. Job did it, and we prayerfully will never have to extend the same type of questions that Job did. But when the trials come, when sorrow knocks on your door, when the question of what is happening is followed by 12 question marks and exclamation points, we rest in the wisdom that his ways are higher than our ways. In the wisdom gap, I'm going to rest in the peace that comes from serving and worshiping and trusting in a wise God.